We've got to have rolling songs that we sing together more often. That was, that was kind of fun. Uh, it's good to see you here this morning. My wife is so sick of that song because I've been singing in the shower for the past two weeks. <laughs> and she's like, that's enough with the Family Matters song. Uh, no, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's good to see you here this morning. Let me just tell you, if this is your first time at Fathom, welcome home. Ho- hopefully you f- are finding a place just to, to jump in and uh, uh, you know, enjoy yourself and family and grow in faith. And that's what this is all about. We believe the church is uh, just a really beautiful family, but it's not just a family that just kind of sits in its house, but it's a family that God is calling to uh, this city and God is calling to uh, this world. And so I'm so excited about things that are going on here at Fathom. It's good to see you. So good to see you. Um, And and we're going to jump right in here today. We all have a different kind of thought about what family is. Um, We all kind of come from different backgrounds and uh, some of us will have uh, what, what we come, come from as maybe of a, a more quote-unquote traditional family, or some of you would kind of fall into more of a, a quote-unquote modern family, which could be anything in between. Uh, but we all kind of have these different understandings about what family is, and it's one of those words when we say it, for, for many of us, it gives us the sense of like peace and rest, and others, it gives us this, this almost sting of like, ouch. Uh, and there's like a lot of pain with our families. And, and so, um, you know, that, that's just kind of the perspective that many of us come from different ones. But more importantly than anything today, we're just going to strip all that away. More than where we've come from, we want to talk about where we're going. And we want to talk about what Jesus says on family. I think we're going to find some really interesting things. A lot of times I've got some, you know, really, you know, uh, you know, kind of funny like little stories kind of get us going this morning, but I just want to dive right into the text this morning and just dive right in because I've got lots of really practical things that I want to share with us today that, and really what it means to us in a spiritual context. And so let me go ahead and just kind of blow your mind with something that you've probably never heard before. Do you know how big Jesus' family was? Like we think about Mary and we think about Jesus, um, but we really don't think about family outside of that. Like, we, okay, maybe he had one brother, maybe uh, James, the brother of John, we've heard that. But did you know that Jesus actually had a really big family? He really did. He had a really big immediate family. There was uh, uh, Mary and Joseph. Mary was kind of, just kind of a, a, you know, she was a teenager when she had Jesus. Uh, most of you know that. And we'll kind of talk more about Mary and Joseph as we get into the Advent or the Christmas season. Um, but uh, I, I love that their family was just, it was kind of a simple family. Uh, his dad was a blue collar carpenter kind of worker. And just a, what scripture says, he was a righteous, he was a faithful man. He just did right in the eyes of God. Mary was obviously a faithful uh, woman and God showed favor on her by blessing her with this beautiful child. Uh, but Mary was just kind of a very, not like fancy name, it was just kind of an, you know, just kind of an average name in that, uh, in that context. And, and so it was a very popular name. That's why we hear it. There's like three different Marys referred to in the Gospels. And so we see this kind of that Jesus actually had a bigger family in Matthew chapter 13, that Jesus had a lot of brothers and sisters. In fact, he had four brothers. So there's Jesus, there's Mary and Joseph, then he had four brothers. That's seven before we even start talking about the girls. So he had a brother named Joseph, which I like to call Joe Jr., and then uh, James and Simon and a brother named Judas, not the one that betrayed him, but another Judas. It was another popular name. And then the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 13 that he had sisters. It doesn't number them or name them. It just said that he had sisters. That means plural. There's more than one. So he at least had two sisters. So he's at least a family of nine. So Jesus, we never think about Jesus in his like family context. There's only a few places in, in the Gospels that we really see Jesus interacting with his family. And most time, it's a little bit weird. Jesus running away from his parents. Uh, anybody ever run away? Anybody ever run away? Come on, be real. I'm raising my hand because I ran away once. Okay, there's a few of you identify with my people. 
Uh, I ran away. And um, let, me, let me just tell you what I, I threatened my parents. I was so angry one day, and I threatened them. And there used to be something called HRS, which was like human like resource something. It was like something to do with family. It's like family child services, basically. And I threatened to call HRS. Or no, no, I wanted to say HRS, but I said, I'm calling IRS on you. Um, that's how smart I was. And so I packed myself a little sandwich and then, and then took off down the street to the woods for about an hour and a half and said, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm going back home. And so that was the extent of my running away. Uh, but we're going to be talking about family. And so we're giving you kind of a window into Jesus's family. It was a larger family that Jesus actually lived in a family context. And we don't really grasp that. And so the text that we're going to look at today, I think it's important to kind of know that background because Jesus is going to say something that I think is one of his most controversial statements. And for a long time, it really stung me. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't get that. Like that was really rude. And like that probably hurt your family's feelings. And so we're going to get into that text here in Mark chapter 3 in just a second. But let me go ahead. If you miss every other week or you're in from out of town, let me tell you what this whole series is about. It's about three things. Is that really when we encounter the grace and the love of God, Family Matters, this whole, whole series through the month of November, is when we encounter the love, the grace of God, it transforms us. Like you cannot be the same when you interact with the grace and the love of God. I'm not just talking about a religious experience where you come in and you have this moment where you're like, yay. I'm talking about like a lifestyle and a relationship in which Jesus is transforming us. It transforms us into more grateful people. We're going to talk about gratitude in the, in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about how it transforms us not into a more grateful person, but into a more generous person. That, that we, we're moved by the generosity of God and that transforms us into a more generous person. And then when we, we understand and we feel the grace and the love of God, it transforms us into a more gentle. So a more grateful, a more uh, uh, generous, and a more gentle person. We're going to be talking about that in the next few weeks. And so let's dive right into the text in Mark chapter 3. And so that's just kind of the landscape of where we're going over the next uh, four weeks uh, through or up until like uh, Thanksgiving time. So we're going to pick up here in Mark chapter 3. And let me give you a little, the first 19 verses here in just uh, short form. Jesus heals a crippled man's hand. So this is very early in Jesus' ministry. Like he had done the water and a wine. Cool trick, right? Uh, he, he does that. And, and then this time it's gonna, people are going to start seeing, okay, this Jesus isn't just doing party tricks. He's got like something else. You know, that's kind of, you know, he's going to do when it comes to miracles. And so Jesus heals this, this crippled man's hand, and it's on the Sabbath. And, of course, religious people get bent out of shape about that. And if you were with us back in July, we did this series called The Rest of Your Life. That was about Sabbath. And so go back in the, in the podcast. If you're dealing with rest and feeling, just struggling and just maybe you're just not trusting God, maybe you really just need to understand Sabbath and what that really means to live in faith, not just religion and where, hey, we take a day off on su- Sundays, but where we really rest and have faith that God will take care of everything. And so these religious leaders had problems with that. So Jesus healing on the Sabbath, they're upset about that. So they start plotting to kill him, and they actually start saying he's out of his mind, he's possessed by the devil, which we're going to see in the text here. And so um, crowds start coming around him. Like Jesus is really getting popular. He's building like a, a, a crowd of people. I think people knew about him for a long time, um, but things are getting where that he can't even like move. And so he appoints disciples just before this. And then we're going to pick up here at verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered. I mean, this is like paparazzi when there was no paparazzi. Um, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. That's how busy he was. That's how 
the demands on his time were so intense. Um, and, and when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. And I actually like some other translations that say, take hold of him. They, like, they went to go get Jesus because people are saying that they're out of his mind. Because um, out of his mind, and the, the Greek word here is existemi. Ex meaning out. He's out, literally out of his mind is what people are saying about Jesus. Um, and, and, and so when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him and shut him up. Because like, Jesus, the water and the wine was really cool. People seemed to like that one. But now you're doing things to upset people. And I don't know if you've ever like, been called like, by your family or they try to quieten you down about something that you were really passionate about. But Jesus kind of is beginning to have some family conflict and not just like a, a small part of his family. We're going to see that it was his mom and, and you know, some of his brothers. And so like, you know, mom's bringing the big guns. She's not you know, bringing the sisters to handle Jesus. She, you know, he, uh, she's bringing the big guns to control him. And the teachers of the law who came from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Just for a second, just think about that. By the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So he's possessed by the devil, and he's, so Jesus is going to pick up on this and kind of like give him a philosophical witty moment here. Verse 23. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. I think Jesus is one of those guys, he's got like a few steps ahead. Um, A lot of people talk about how much did Jesus know about his life because he was fully human and fully divine. It's a big conversation. We'll have another day. Um, but I, I know that he at least had a few steps ahead because Jesus knows. He's like, guys, come over. Let's just use this little philosophical thing. Let's just break this down philosophically. How can Satan drive out Satan? And he's like, what you're saying is do- doesn't make sense. And he's kind of making them fools. And he breaks this down to this simple thing, parables Jesus used, because they were simple. People could understand them. We could grasp them. And I'm really thankful for that. And he says this, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That's not all he says. He basically says the same thing, but adds another layer to what he's saying here. Go to verse 25. If a house divided is against itself, that house cannot stand. So he's refuting everything they're saying about him being Satan and being out of his mind with this kind of philosophical thing. It doesn't make sense. And then he's giving, this two, and he's giving this kind of parable. If a kingdom divided itself against itself cannot stand, a house divided itself cannot stand. So he's giving us this parallel. And I, I, want to say, I think this is really important what he's saying here. Because he's saying a kingdom, because I think he's talking about the kingdom of God. I think he's talking about also literal kingdoms. Because everything that's spiritual is also practical. It's also very, just, everything is spiritual also has a flesh aspect to it. So a lot of us like to draw circles like this is my spiritual life, this is my physical life. God rips those up. And so what Jesus is saying here is there's this kingdom side that's, I think, kingdom on earth, kingdom on heaven. He's also saying there's this house side. So his family's there, and his family's here in this. So a family divided against itself can't stand. Okay, now I know there's some moms and dads in the room, and if, <laughs> if your parents came, and even if you're a kid, you can think about this, um, which you're all kids, even if you're a kid. We're all kids, right? <laughs> um, you guys didn't catch that? We're all kids, right? Everybody a kid? Everybody's born by somebody? No, no, um, no transformers or anything in here? Um, kingdom and a house. He's given us this parallel. And in just a second, he's going to push these together, what he's talking about. But think about what he's saying here to his family. He's like, I'm trying to do something. Like, I'm doing the will of God. He is what he, you know, he's, he's living out here. And his family's coming to restrict that. He's, I think he's in one layer, he's talking to his own family already, and it's about to get a lot heavier than that here in just a second, where it's almost like literally Jesus slaps his family in the face. Um, so I told you, this is going to get intense. 
And uh, I think God really wants to speak something to us. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he can't stand. His end has come. So he's still kind of refuting their argument here. But he's bringing these two ideas together. Verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. This is powerful. And as we begin to talk about family, some of you are... Um, maybe you're engaged in the house, maybe you're single, maybe you're married, maybe you have children, maybe your children are out of the house. There's all kinds of, those layers are where we're at in our life, but I'm telling you, this applies. For those of you that say, hey, I'm single, don't really have a family of my own right now, I'm not, not living you know, with my parents, I don't really even have that context on a regular basis. Uh, let me tell you something, uh, you can try to say, oh, well, this doesn't really apply to me and wait till like it's too late. Like you can try to get that information after the fact, but I would if, if it was me, I, I would really try to dive in here and be like, let me just prepare for what God has for me in this next step, this next stage in my life. So this applies to us. Go back to verse 27, because I think this is powerful. No one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. He's speaking about something spiritual that uh, as leaders of, of our homes and uh, of our families and future families or whatever that might look like for you now or in the future, He's saying that first, the enemy's really going to come and he's going to attack the leader. He's going to attack a strong man. He'll attack the leader of the house without, he's going to tie them up. And whether that be some kind of addiction or, or you name it, uh, tie you up with some thought or attitude or weight or sin. Then he can plunder the strong man's house because scriptures tell us that the enemy uh, seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and, that, and, and that's, I know that can get intense for some of us to think that there's like an enemy of our soul, but really knowing that that's his, his goal, is to still kill and destroy, kill, I kind of said that weird, uh, kill and destroy, um, that he, he wants to plunder the house, and he's got to first tie us up, so there may be things in our life that, that we really need to, to, to work out, because they're tying us up and allowing God to really, or, or allowing the enemy to really have a hold over our children as well, so let's move on. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. This is going to be uh, blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. So I don't know if you knew about this, but there's one sin Jesus says you can't be forgiven of. It's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You could do a whole message on it. But really, it's just mocking. It's, it, it's, um, it's a really tough thing to describe, but it's like mocking uh, Jesus. And basically what they're doing here, Jesus is referring to them like, you're not going to be forgiven. Like, if you keep up this thing of, like, calling me the devil and, and, and kind of uh, um, twisting my words and trying to make me seem something I'm not, you're really blaspheming me. You're speaking against me in a way that's not just, um, you know, I don't believe, but, but it's in a very kind of abusive way. And we know some people that are probably like that. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus takes this very seriously. So if I ever see people like just really taking light of just the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying, hey, I don't, I'm not talking about with someone, I just don't believe it that, like that or this, um, but someone that's really just taking it um, to another extreme where it's, a, it's offensive. I, I'm like, dude, that's not cool. I just try to uh, be serious like this because Jesus is, is serious about this too. Verse 30, he said this because they were um, saying he, he has an impure spirit. Uh, verse 31, and this is where it's going to get intense here. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. So they come back. They were trying to hold him down earlier. They're back now, uh, and they're at the house. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. So Jesus is inside. Verse 32, a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. They're not done. They, you know, I don't know if Jesus just walked off from them in that time, or the crowd was just too crazy. Um, but here they are again. They're calling for Jesus to come out. Jesus has a crowd around himself. 
Uh, and I don't think it's just because he was doing miracles. I think it was because people really enjoyed being around Jesus. I think he was a gentle person. I think he was a generous person. I think he was a grateful person. And I don't know about you, but that's someone I want to be around. Someone that, that's gentle, someone that's, that's grateful. I mean, can I know you can't stand to be around people that just aren't thankful. Like you give them a gift and they're just not thankful. Or, or someone that's, um, you know, not you know, really gentle and they're just kind of rough and abusive with people and they just don't take kind of these relationships seriously. So I think people enjoyed being around Jesus. Your mother and brothers are look outside looking for you. Let's know what Jesus says. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. And I just picture myself with this crowd around him and they're like, Jesus, do you really not know who your mom is? Like Mary, like everybody knows about Mary, the one... That God knocked up. Like, everybody knows about Mary. Do you seriously not know who your mom and your brothers are? Joe Jr., remember Simon Jr.? I, I think they're probably like, maybe he is. Like, did he really lose it? Like, are these crowds too much? Is this getting too intense for Jesus? And in verse 34, and then he looked at those seated in a circle around him. He said, here are my mother and brothers. Everybody's like, oh, thank God. He's not crazy. He's not crazy. Here are my, whoever does God's will is my, is my brother and sister and mother. And so they're like, oh, thank God. I get it, Jesus. Good point. <laughs> you know, like, I'm glad you're not crazy. Because uh, I think they really believed in him. But think about what this does to his family standing at the door who probably like overhear this or see this taking place. Um, it's just kind of like a slap in the face, you know? I've always thought about that. I'm like, man, Jesus, that was harsh. Like, that ain't my mama. This is my mama, like random Susie over here that's hanging out with me. That's not my brother. I mean, someone like kind of disowned me, seemingly is what it feels like. From us on the outside, we're like, oh, no, it was this, it was this. But I think if I was, one, I was a brother or if I was the mother in that situation, I would be like really offended, be like, no, dude, you grew up with us. <laughs> We've watched you run around, and you're our brother. And so I think this is really highly offensive in, in some regards to his family. But I want you to see what Jesus is doing here, because I don't think Jesus is undermining the family. For a long time, I was like, I don't know what you're doing, Jesus, but I, I, I want some like knowledge and wisdom on what this is. I think Jesus isn't undermining the family unit. He's not undermining the core. I think he's strengthening it. I think he's bringing in a foundation um, that will bring unity in our families. I think it's, it's providing guiding principles for our life that we are built as a family on the will of God, on obedience to Christ. And he's saying this to his own family's like pain. And, and I think, I, I just believe, because I think they were wise and, and you know, faithful and righteous people, that at some point I think they, they grasp this, but this is early on his ministry, and I think they're having trouble with the crowds, I think they're having trouble with religious leaders not being happy, I think after like year one, they're like, okay, Jesus is just doing his crazy thing again, healing people, you know, and, and so I think they had begun to accept his ministry a little bit more later on in the game, but I think very early on, this was very intense for them relationally. And personally, can you think if just one person in your family kind of blew to great fame and there was all this pressure and people were accusing them and trying to plot to kill them in your family, what kind of tension that would bring to your family? I mean, probably a lot. Probably a lot. It'd be very stressful. There'd probably be lots of arguments. But what Jesus is doing here, he's strengthening the family unit by providing the solid foundation for which it should be built and the principles on which 
we should live, giving us two things, a foundation and principles. And that's what I think Jesus is establishing here, that that foundation is the will of God. That foundation is obedience to Christ. And so I want to break these down and just kind of talk very practically about what this looks like in our life um, going forward and really what this means for us missionally as a church. So let's talk about the foundation. The foundation provides um, unity. It's unity is what this foundation brings into our life. Jesus gave us foundation that unifies our family. And just think about this. It's, it's, very, it's very hard to have arguments back and forth um, when you know who's in charge at the end of the day. It's where it's, where it's no longer mom against dad or parent against kid. Um, but it's all for one, one for all, that we're all under the headship of, of God the Father, and, and that, that is our foundation. I mean, I'm not saying that there won't be arguments. I'm not saying that there won't be those things, but at the end of the day, we result to Scripture. We result to obedience to Christ, to, to the will of God, and we find ourselves in this place that we have a solid foundation. I think there's a couple of things that I want to highlight when it comes to to um, the foundation that unifies us. One is praying together. And we're going to take a really special spiritual moment here together and pray together uh, towards the end of our service. But I think this is a big thing for families. I I really do. And and I I always say this, and let me just throw this in there. If you're dating in the house, um, and, you know, guys, you may feel like you're like a spiritual leader of, of, you know, your girlfriend or something like that, but you're not. Like, you're not her spiritual leader um, until you are wed. Uh, and so I, 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 I'm not opposed to uh, folks praying together, but really until you're at the point of uh, engagement in marriage, I, I, I really don't think praying together is a good idea, like on a regular basis. I'm not saying today, like, let's pray together. That's great. But I'm talking about on a very spiritual level, and I could go into this for a long time about why, but here's the thing, is, is that bond is very easy to break. Um, when, you, when you break marriage, it's a lot more of a longer process. But when you tie yourself spiritually to someone that you're not married to, uh, it causes in, it damage that's far beyond physical and emotional. It really is. It's far beyond that. And this is a, a deep thing that is a, you know, a whole topic in itself to talk about. But I, I just put this out as a warning. Wait, wait, wait. You know, to ha- where you really begin to engage with someone spiritually and, and such a deeper level. I'm not talking about talking about scripture. I'm not talking about what you're going through in your life. Do those things. I'm talking about the depth of spirituality that really you can, you can just know in marriage and, and at that point. So that's a whole deal in itself. But when it comes to our families, I think it's powerful. I think it's powerful for parents. Let them hear what you're praying. Let them hear what you're believing God for in their life. This is a weird thing for me as I, I became a, a dad, and, and I kind of had to make this transition to, I was just kind of all on my own, to now I'm, I'm praying with my wife, and, and now we're kind of interacting our, our spirituality together, and that we're, we used to be two, and now we're, we're one. And then when we had kids, and we had another kid just recently, uh, those prayers are just so incredible. And it's literally like my favorite part of my day uh, on a regular basis is just to be able to like lay my kid in bed and pray with him. Um, and a lot of times I'm exhausted, and I don't like even, I don't have the emotion and like energy to put into it. But I try to take that prayer seriously. seriously. And sometimes I'm like, babe, just pray. Like, I need you, you to, like you pray tonight, Okay. Um, but there's something so powerful about my son on a daily basis, hearing me pray blessings and prayers over him about what I'm believing God for his life. I mean, that's powerful. I mean, I don't know if some of you may have had that in your life. Maybe you didn't. 
Um, and for those of you that maybe came from a background where um, you see many things in front of you that you would like to be your family, it's a great opportunity to start a new trend, a new heritage in, in your family. But, but beginning to pray this is such a huge thing. Pray together. Um, and, and if you're unsure about that, just be yourself. Be real. Be honest about what you desire for their life. And maybe you just want to write some of those things down. I've heard of parents just like jotting some things down over their family. Maybe if you're a couple in the house and you just want to jot down, man, these are some of our family goals. This is what we're going to be about. And then you pray those things on a regular basis. Let me drop this little plug in. If you're a parent of a kid in Fathom Kids, we have this, uh, there's this app that goes with our curriculum called um, Parent Q. It's like $1.99 on the App Store, Parent Q, if you're a parent. And it's uh, really cool. It kind of gives you things, whatever they're going through, it gives you like daily and weekly prayers and stuff to pray with them, things to talk about, whatever they're studying on Sundays. You can kind of be walking them through prayer with them. It gives like these little cues. So it's really good. So the second thing about, about the foundation is that it, it makes us accountable together. When there's this foundation, it really does make us accountable to the will of God. It makes us accountable to obedience to Christ, to scripture. Uh, Galatians 6, 1, 2 says this, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, uh, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. We're accountable to each other. We're looking out for each other. We're, we're carrying each other's burdens. And, and let's be real. It's hardest, the people that you're closest to, it's hardest to be gra- gracious to them. It's hardest to be grateful to them. It's hardest to be gentle to the people that you're closest to. You know, um, your roommate in college, after you guys have been living together for a little while, you're just sick. Of, you're just sick of each other. We've eaten too much food together. We've stayed up late too much. It's it's not over, but like we're just rubbing, you know, on each other and um, you know each other's uh, getting up under each other's skin and, and, and to the point where you, you don't want to be gentle with that person anymore. You're not grateful for what they do. You're just keeping score back and forth. But to this place where we carry each other's burdens, it's tough to do it to the people that you're closest to, to our family, to those that are our family. And this whole idea that we're talking to, uh, about uh, family here and what Jesus says, some of us are pushing, I, I can probably tell that some of us are, are pushing back from that because we can't make the, the, the step there and I would say that's probably a lot of us, you know, some of you that have like a really kind of safe place at home. You've always had like a safe family um, place to kind of retreat to or to be, to be known and to know others. But for those of you that, you know, haven't had that, haven't had a safe place spiritually to, to find yourself, um, I would say that you're very much attracted to this. And you can see probably the people in this room, people in your anchor group, you probably see them just as much as your family as anyone else. So I think there's two sides of this. And Jesus is taking the, the kingdom and the family and the house, and he's putting them together in this statement that we, have, we are accountable together in this. We're accountable to the will of God. That's another layer of what he's doing here, our foundations, that, that we're working together, not against each other. And something we talked about last week, um, we, we use this phrase of being teachable. And I think this is one of those when it comes to the foundation. Go back to that last slide and being accountable. is A lot of people talk about accountability and it sounds good, but no one really wants it. No one really wants to be like, hey, what you did there was pretty stupid. You know? And, and more than no one wants to like actually do it, no one wants to receive it. I mean, that's really hard. When we talk about like gratitude, I think when we really get to the place of, of spiritual depth and maturity, we say thank you to those things. 
We say thank you because that probably caused us another conflict that could have caused more damage down the road. And we really do each other a disservice when we're not honest with each other, when we don't, when we're not transparent and we're not accountable together. It's part of what our anchor groups are for. We have many different places in which accountability happens. But we don't make it some big system. It's about a relationship. It's one-on-one. It's in those people that you're closest to, it's toughest to be grateful, to be gentle, um, to, to really be gracious and, and generous to. And so here's a challenge for you, just as we leave this idea of the foundation. Pray together as a family. I dare you. I dare you to step outside your comfort zone and just pray together. I, I dare you to, uh, even, if, even if you don't say it out loud, even if you just want to pray that prayer over your family back home, you want to pray over some family, I just dare you every single day this week to pray over them. I dare you. I, I, I imagine that it will begin to soften your heart. I, I, I imagine that you'll become a little bit more gentle as you begin to pray over them. Uh, I, I would even challenge you to do it to your enemies. Jesus took it to a whole other level. Pray over your enemies. Bless those who curse you. So not just praying together, but I, I would encourage you to just begin to open yourself up to be teachable. Open yourself up to be accountable and, and be ready to, to grow. And that's kind of the point of growth. And so that takes us right to our next point. Jesus not only provides us a foundation that unifies us as a family, but he provides us principles that guide us, that guide us as a family. And so this is a, a big deal, these principles. So it's, it's what we live by. What's the, what's the principles that we live by? It's the will of God. It's obedience to Christ. That's the principles we live by. Let me tell you this. Um, uh, parents in the house and um, in, in across the world, I believe that God has designed parents to be the greatest evangelists in the world, to be the greatest evangelist, someone who shares the message of Jesus Christ. I think moms and dads are, are God's evangelists that he has designed for the world. Not someone standing on a stage. I believe that the way God has made it is that moms and dads are the greatest evangelists in the world. No one will make a greater impact in a child's life. No one has made a greater impact on your life for the good or for the bad than your parents or those that raised you. Uh, I believe that, that you are the greatest evangelist. More than Billy Graham in the world, you will make a greater impact in your child. More than the Apostle Paul, I think you will make a greater impact on your child's life. I believe that God has called you, in fact, and as I'm saying this, I know what that feels like emotionally for those of you that have children now or those that you know, want to have children in the future. You just feel this weight of like, wow, that's a, that's a, a big deal. But that is what God has designed um, the family for, that you are the primary disciple makers in your home, that you are to lead and to guide them and to show them the way. And we have that weight. And what's happened in the church across, uh, especially in, in America, is that that duty and that responsibility has been pushed to a single person, usually a pastor or people that work in kids' uh, ministry or, or student ministry, and that they kind of push that responsibility away. And what Jesus is doing is he's providing us a foundation and principles to live and give us strength for our family. Because there will be no conflict about um, what's right and what's wrong. And, and uh, it's very easy to kind of say one thing and do another. And that's the other thing that we're not only discipling together here, um, but we'll also read together. That we have, have this kind of standard for life, these principles that guide us. That, that I believe that Jesus is getting to and, he, and he's trying to... He's teaching his own family, um, which can be, talk about being teachable. I think Mary had to be a little bit teachable <laughs> by Jesus. Can you imagine that like, if your son was like Messiah, Savior of the world? Um, and you, you had to be like taught on a regular basis uh, by him. Um, and, and discipleship sounds like a scary thing, but it's just pointing people to Jesus. 
But here's the truth. You can't give what you don't have. So reading scripture together, beginning this discipleship process together is a huge thing. It's a really big thing to begin to, to let our minds into this process that God wants to help um, us point each other to Jesus, to point to this point of, uh, that it's about discipleship and, and it guides our family. It gives us these principles and this foundation that we can't um, really be shaken. And so I think this is uh, a huge element for us to, to grab onto today. Um, because, and I'll, I'll be real, at some point in my life, my dad didn't really have to tell me right or, or, or wrong, but I knew um, because he had taught me, he had trained me, he had read with me, he had prayed with me. I'd heard him pray over those things for my life. And I just believe, um, and I've heard my grandmother even talk about this. Um, I had a, my great-grandmother, her name is Sarah, and um, and she passed away, and I remember my grandmother just telling me that I wish, after you know, we launched the church and we were in ministry, and saying, I wish that your great-grandmother could see you because she prayed you know, this for you. She prayed these things for you. And, and I just, I wonder, you know, some of those prayers that have gone up. In fact, up under the carpet in this room, there's lots of names written. And some of you are probably in this room that somebody probably wrote your name on this concrete before we ever started. Um, and it's just very daunting to think what goes on through prayer and when we begin to pray those things. Um, but these principles that guide us, uh, you know, uh, as, as parents, as spiritual leaders in this house. Um, and, and if you're not a parent, if you will be a parent in the future, uh, I'm telling you, learn these things now, grab these things now, you know, so when you get there, you're prepared for them. Uh, it makes, a, it makes a, a real difference. Um, but I, I think there's something very tangible um, when you see it lived in front of you discipling together and reading together, they're going to read your life more than they're going to read your lips. Remember this. They're going to read your life more than they read your lips. They'll hear you. They'll listen to you. They'll be able to repeat it back because you've said it so many times, the things you tell them to do, but the things you model for them, they'll actually believe. I think we probably need to say that again. They'll read your life more than they'll read your lips. They'll read your life more than they'll read your lips. You can say it all you want, and they'll be able to memorize it and quote it back, but they won't believe it until they see it. They won't believe what you say until we live it. We know that about our own lives. We know that we interact that same way, and that's a beautiful thing. And I love that Jesus is the ultimate example, that when he was in the garden, he had a moment to do the will of God or not, and kind of his most pain, he said, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't just say it to his own mom, like, hey, mom, this is where our family needs to be. He lived it to death on a cross. He took it to the nth degree to, to show his love, to show that love and grace. And no act was more, more generous on the face of the planet that's ever existed than this right here. Jesus is, is taking the kingdom of heaven and on earth and the, the house, and he's putting them together and saying, you know, through the will of God, and some of you have heard the scripture that as for me and my house will serve the Lord. And some of us, we really need to make that decision. Next week, we're going to celebrate um, with uh, child dedications, and it'll be a moment where we kind of declare that for some of our families uh, and pray that over them. But this is a powerful thought because one of our, our core values here is authentic community, and, and it's a felt need in our world uh, as, as Americans, you know, you can do anything from your phone. You can have contact. You can have communication 24-7 if you want. Constantly be updated on what everyone is doing more than you ever want to know, <laughs> right? We have this, all this communication, but, but we're like the loneliest generation. 
you know, the, the, the rates of suicides go up every single year. Um, and it's heartbreaking that we're so lonely. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this stand-up comedian that I think is really funny. His name's Louis C.K., and one time he was talking about, you know, he's talking about America, and he's kind of a, a bitter, like, American um, comedian. And he said, uh, he said, everything's perfect, but no one's happy. And you may feel like that sometimes where you come to church and you kind of, like, act like everything's perfect. How are things going, man? They're going great. And everything's great, everything's perfect, but no one's happy. And I think this, this layer of authentic community that begins in our homes that begins with those that are closest to us. Maybe it begins in your anchor group of being known and praying together and discipling together, being accountable together. This community is what Jesus has established and it strengthens us because it's given us a foundation and it's given us principles to live our life by. God's really called us into our neighborhoods. He's called us into our neighbors. He's called us to, uh, to, to every street uh, there's, a, there's a movement going on in New York City, and they're calling it Occupy All Streets, and I love it. I love it. That's their twi- Twitter hashtag for everything. Their Instagram hashtag is Occupy All Streets, and I have that same vision for this community, to occupy all streets, that God wants to do something on your street. He wants to do something in your apartment complex. He wants to do something at your place of business. He wants to do something at your address before he does it next door. Before he's going to do it next door, he's got to do it in your address. He's got to, and I want you to think about that for a second. Just think about what your address is, and, just, and as we kind of go to prayer here in just a moment, pray your address. Like, God, do something in my address first. Do something in our home first, and that's where mission begins to be birthed out of. One of those principles that guide us is mission, what Jesus has called us to as a family. And I believe that inviting people into this family is one of the most beautiful things, the most generous things about the Jesus family is that we're all accepted and loved, and he adopts us in. I think it's cool that uh, Jesus himself was adopted by his father, Joseph, because it wasn't his real dad, which is crazy to think about. But he was adopted, and he adopted us in to the family of God. It's an incredibly beautiful thing. And our, our job as a family, our mission as a family is to go make disciples, to invite people into the family of God and walk out this journey together. I believe that God's going to give us a real vision for that, for our own families, whether that's today, whether that's in the coming days. But I believe that God's going to start a process in us, a journey in which we're pr- preparing ourselves um, to, lead, to lead our address first and then really occupy all streets occupy our, 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 and make an impact on our, our neighborhoods. And so uh, we're going to do something here in just a moment. And um, we're going we're to have prayer together and uh, as we engage in communion in the next few minutes. Uh, we're going to do, do it kind of a unique way. And I, I don't want anybody to, to partake. We're going to invite you up. And I don't want us to do this in community today. Okay? And I want you to gather in groups of you know, at least three, at least groups of three people. Uh, it doesn't have to be your immediate family. I believe we're all family in this room. If you step in those doors, we love you like you're our own family. And uh, I, I just want you to um, interact with some people around you and just have one person as you're taking your communion in just a few moments. It's a representation of the grace and the love of Jesus. It's a representation of his love for you that you're adopted in. We broke all this bread today off of one loaf. And we poured all of this juice this morning from one cup. 
And that's what you're unified into, that family of God. And so if you felt like a wanderer, if you felt like you're alone in your journey, know that you're not. And so I want us to experience that. Maybe you do have your immediate family with you. Maybe you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, uh, a fiance, a mom or a dad in the room. But I just want us to get in at least groups of three. Please just get in at least groups of three. It may be awkward because you're meeting new people. Introduce yourselves. And then I'd love for one person to just have a spiritual prayer about family. And just have a moment to pray together as we interact in in, uh, Holy Communion. I believe this is going to be a really holy, special moment. And um, this is about the family of God. This isn't about even our, our families on earth for a few moments. So I want you to stand with me and we're going to pray. And we're going to partake in communion together. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. This is your kind of first time hearing the gospel, even on family. And the boldest step you could ever make in your life, the best step you could ever make in your life is to make a choice to to engage in communion. It says, I want to be known by God. I, I want to be known by the family of God. I want to be a part of this family. And so we invite all our welcome into this. So I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing and over our prayers that we'd feel this tangible presence of community in this room this morning. Let's pray and then the tables will be open. God, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for this moment in time. God, I thank you um, for this really kind of offensive statement that you said. Jesus said, that's providing us a foundation and principles in which to, to build our families, to build our life, to be a community of faith, God. Help us to take these things so seriously. Help us to engage in these. Help us to be accountable and teachable. Help us to pray and to read. Help us to be known and to know others. We're in this thing together. In Christ's name. Amen.